Let's pray. God, please open our hearts to your word and your word to our hearts today is our simple prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. I was listening to the radio recently and heard the normal useless information that radio hosts talk about, and the host described a term, catchler. I'd never heard that before, catchler. Uh, apparently, that's a thing. It's a bachelor who buys a cat <laughs> in order to come across as a more loving person, and you know it, to get the girl, literally. Really, I had not heard that before. I'm a catchler. Well, oh, wow. Just Anyway, that's just out there. But I thought, right away, I, th- I actually thought of this message. It's like, oh, I got I to share that. Just powerful stuff here this morning. Um, but uh, the other thought I had was, well, how, how about just endeavoring to authentically grow a loving heart and a loving character? How about that? Well, that's hard to do. And if we don't have God in our life, that's, that's even more hard to do. This morning, we're talking about loving one another, specifically within the body of Christ, and even more specifically between the generations, and we'll get there in a few moments. This message series, these three weeks, we're in the middle of it, uh, entitled Movement. Movement. It's, it's what the New Testament church is. Although there's structure, the the church is not an organization. Um, The New Testament definition of the church, as many of you know, is the worldwide group of people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ as his followers and want to be his followers. And this large body, of course, is then expressed locally in churches that, um, that are varied in personality and, and style, but all share, in, oh, there's differences in structure and organization systems and, and, and some secondary biblical teaching that isn't, you know, going to impact our eternal salvation. But, but the church, in the New Testament definition of the word, must share the individual churches, must share the life-changing truths of who Jesus is, in other words, that He is God, and what He did on the cross, that He took our penalty for sin upon Himself, rising from the dead to prove that He could give us eternal life, and that that, His death and resurrection, is the only way to get to God and get to heaven eternally. And nor do you have to add any works as some cult groups and fringe groups would would say. As soon as you do that, by definition, by biblical definition, New Testament definition, you're no no longer a church. Um, If if you don't believe that Jesus is God, so clearly expressed in the New Testament, even if you have the name Jesus in your title or Jesus Christ in your title, you're you're not a church by the New Testament definition. This This is foundational stuff. And so movement, the body of Christ, needs to be in uh, constant movement. Last Sunday, Pastor Joel talked about movement toward God. That allows for everything else we're talking about. Movement toward one another, as we're talking about today, and then movement toward our world, as we'll talk about next Sunday. And and again, these these messages, as as many of you know, align with our mission statement that we are, as a church, we're committed in simplicity, and that's not always easy, 
It's the goal. Uh, We're committed in simplicity to knowing God, loving people, serving the world. Uh, A statement that is solidly based on the two missional directives of our leader, Jesus Christ, that that Christians have come to uh, refer to as the great commandment and the great commission. The great commandment, Mark 12, uh, love God with your whole being and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God and love people well, great commandment. And the great commission, Matthew 28, uh, we are to, again, be in motion, go and make Disciples, allow your life to reflect Jesus and share the message of Jesus. Go to where people are who don't yet know Jesus Christ personally or his uh, offer of of eternal grace. For over 2,000 years, the church around the world in different cultures and different societies and and different, uh, 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 different ways that different people with different backgrounds approach this is, is so cool. It, it speaks of the creativity of our, of our Heavenly Father, of course. But for over 2,000 years, the church has run on these two missional rails, and as a result, countless, countless uh, numbers of people, have their lives have been eternally changed as Jesus' followers lived out these simple expressions of, of, of God's heart and God's mission for His church, His movement. So, movement toward one another. What Jesus expects of his family members. In John 17, Jesus prayed for you and for me, uh, for his disciples first, and then it says in John 17, Jesus' words, and for all those who will follow. What did he pray? Several times in that chapter, that we as believers, as his followers, as his family would be what? What? One. Would be one. One. Father. He said, Father, as you and I are one. That's oneness. That's unity between the Father and the Son. He wants us to be one in that same way. And I mean, that that sounds so nice, doesn't it? It Sounds so warm and fuzzy that we would be one. Well, many of you know this. If you journeyed with Christ for any length of time, even in the church, being one Truly living in unity as Jesus wants us to can be very difficult. There's challenges with that because none of us are perfect. Being one will mean intentionally choosing to speak and act in grace when we'd rather not. It means means intentionally choosing, determining to lay down our rights to be one. We have to be willing to do that, to be one. To be an answer to Jesus' prayer, we have to be willing to do. It means returning kindness for offense and rudeness. It means yeah, but being one will mean, being, will mean when we're hurt, we don't re- fire back in retaliation. This is hard stuff, this prayer of Jesus. What does he expect? Well, he hasn't left us to ourselves to to be able to live that way. Oh, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the infusion of God's Word and and His Holy Spirit to do this, of course. But it's hard stuff to to be an active answer to this prayer of Jesus, and yet it's undeniable that it's Jesus' prayer and desire for this church to be one. In response... To Jesus' prayer in John 17. And you, some of you may need to read it or reread it. Who is it that you need to go to? 
Carissa prayed a reference to forgiveness. Who is it that you need to go to in the body and ask forgiveness? The Holy Spirit might be speaking to you about that right now. I pray he is if that's a need in your life. And then in John 13, Jesus said these words. A new commandment. Interesting, hey? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. Uh, That's a lot of love. And again, none of us can do that on our own. God, help me to live that way in the context of my church family. As I have loved you, Jesus said. And then he says, by this All will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It's a command of Jesus for us to live this way in relationship to one another within Eaglemont Church, for us to love one another. Because he knows that people who do not know him yet look at the church and they look in this community, they do. More than we probably realize, they look at this church. And how they view this church is important to Jesus because it influences how they view Jesus. Christ's followers represent Jesus, and Jesus wants us to represent him well in our world, in our community, wherever it is we live. And and my friends, we, we cannot love one another if we drift from connection with the body of Christ and how easy that is to do. Being a Christ follower is never intended to be a a lone ranger thing. As a matter of fact, biblically, we can't even live the full Christian experience separated or isolated from the body of Christ. It just does not compute as you read the whole of the New Testament and get into the epistles and how Paul addresses the, the, the church collectively. The whole picture is in the context of relationship within the body for mutual support and love. And and again, I've referenced this before. One author, uh, forget his name right now, but I've quoted him before, 59, according to him, 59 one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, encourage one another, lift up one another, pray for one another. We cannot live the full Christian experience separated or isolated from the church. And yet again, this, this, this idea of loving one another can be a nebulous idea that, that doesn't get traction unless, unless we acknowledge some of the specifics, which I'm going to do now, some of the specific actions that loving one another well involves. It's the deepening of relationship through selfless actions like seeking, really seeking to understand one another, not just saying, oh, that's stupid. Oh, we may not say that to the person, but we go away and we say to our spouse or our friend, that's stupid. Did we ask a question to help understand the background, the thinking? Often not. Loving each other well means, means we're willing to ask questions and then, and then actually listen. We don't often do that very well. It involves responding to needs in the body that we become aware of. It it will mean uh, if you notice someone's missing from the gathering for a period of time that you then are the one to call them and say, hey, no no pressure, you don't have to say anything, but I just wanted you to know you've been missed. I've heard that that happens among us. I've heard it a few times. It probably happens more than I hear about. But I, I, I hope, I hope that happens regularly, consistently. 
Loving one another well means there's an environment of care, and it's inspiring to see that in this church family very regularly. Not perfectly, I'm not saying that, but, but very regularly I hear of those stories. So way to go, way to go church on that. Here's a recent example that I, that I received permission to share. Many of you are aware of, of Sarah Henson's journey through cancer the last several months. Well, in a text conversation with Kevin, Sarah's husband, a while back, he shared this significant statement with me. He just said, it's been encouraging to see in, in the difficulty, in the, in the difficult journey. It's encouraging, he said, to see the Eaglemont family living out the biblical purpose laid out in Scripture for us. Cannot imagine this without you all. Again, that's you. That's you. Way to go, church. On April 7th, this past April, we had what we called uh, an on-ramp Sunday as we launched the next phase of saving toward future facility expansion. And as a part of that morning to remind us that that expansion vision is, is all about people. Yes, there's bricks and mortar, but it's about people. And to remind us of that, that morning, Leanne, representing the Faith Expansion Capital Campaign team, got up here and she, she asked us all to write personal statements on sticky notes about the influence of this church family, uh, that, that the influence that this church family has had on, on, on us and, and our families. There were about 125 comments written, shared between our children, teens, and adults that were, that were so incredibly encouraging and significant evidence as I read them more than once, significant evidence and reminder by God's grace of, of what God is doing in many of our lives through the lives of this church family. You, through you. It's phenomenal. Statements like people here have so much love and care for one another. Someone else wrote, it encourages me to come to church where I feel loved and supported. Another said, people genuinely care for others practically. And if that's not been your experience and you've been around a while, can I, 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 I don't know what to say about that. I wish it was different. Uh, I apologize for that. But can I ask you to take the tough but important step to turn it and become the one that shares the kind of stuff that we're reading about? Because that changes culture. And that's what Jesus would call us to do. Those are awesome statements, and we're going to spend, though, the rest of our time this morning focusing specifically on the, the intergenerational aspect of body life, as Jesus also has high hopes for within his church. It's, it's something that uh, I've always known to be a biblical priority, but it's a vision for this church that has been just stirring deeply in my heart again, probably over the last year or so. Back to April 7th, our sticky note Sunday, those comments, there were several of those comments that highlighted specifically this intergenerational reality within this church family. It's very encouraging for me to read stuff like this. Uh, some, someone wrote, when I was a teenager, Eaglemont, that's you, it's not the organization, please get that out of your mind, that's you, the body. They're saying, Eaglemont took, took me in with open arms, they took me where I was and allowed me to grow. A high school student wrote, to me, Eaglemont Church is a safe place where I've found an excellent community of people that support and love me. The people are genuine and caring. What a testimony of God's grace in your lives being shown forward. Another one said, Eaglemont people have enveloped my children in love and prayers. I love it. That mentoring from other generations, not necessarily family members, but, but family members in the body. 
And then somebody else said, I love the encouragement from people of all ages. And that caught my attention. Love it. Love it. Those, those are extremely significant comments. Because a big lie in our culture is that we can't learn from someone of a different generation. I, that, that is a lie. Another big lie in our culture is that we should be self-sufficient. The lie that we don't need others. Well, we know biblically that's not true at all. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, in his book Outliers, attacks the myth of the self-made person that we often hear about, right? And, and he points uh, out that very successful people in, in every arena of life have many people who have contributed to their success. And that certainly applies in our faith walk, and so it should. God made us to be. God made us to be in fellowship with one another. And there's a word, fellowship. It's a word that's sometimes probably overused and not fully understood maybe. Well, the, the original word, the New Testament Greek word is the word koinonia. Not that that matters, but that's what it is. Uh, but, but it's more, it, it, it is not just hanging out together, this word. The, the word implies deep and meaningful relationships that are, that are mutually strength-giving and supportive. It means, uh, this word, this koinonia word, means journeying together in everything that life brings, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's a, it's a powerful word, really. And that's the relationship, the depth of relationship that Jesus calls us to in the body. I've, I've been reflecting again on a couple of New Testament passages that I've reignited my heart for intergenerational body life. Uh, I've always been on the Titus 2, back to when I was a youth pastor uh, and young adult pastor. I mean, in another lifetime, yes, but um, for those 12 and a half years, I remember parking on this passage, Titus 2, and it was, it was awesome to me um, at, the, at that age even. Um, the, the value of the... the, the well, the value of a, of, a, of a healthy and loving intergenerational body of, of Christ followers, loving one another, cannot, cannot, just cannot be overstated. Uh, Titus 2, 1 to 8. I want you to read that later today. It outlines uh, the Christ-honoring relationships, what they look like between um, older men and younger men and older women and younger women. And then the last part of verse 8 gives us a key reason as to why this loving and wise behavior between the different generations is important. Uh, Paul writes and says, so that those who oppose you, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. In other words, not, not, a, not for a prideful reason, but in other words, once again, we see uh, that, that God cares a lot about how people in the world who don't know Him view His body. It matters. And then over to 1 Timothy 4.12, I love this. Young people, listen to this especially. Don't let anyone look down on you is, is one uh, that's, I guess that's the years ago, the passage that I learned it in because I have it different here and I forget what this is. Uh, this might be a new international version here. Don't let anyone think less of you because you're young. Be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Young people, yeah, you still need to be teachable as we all do. But God is, listen to this, God is saying through Paul to this young pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, you have something to contribute that is significant to this church family through the example of your life. That's awesome. I've listened to an audio book entitled Growing Young a couple of times in the last year. 
And it's based on extensive research done by the Fuller Theological Seminary uh, Youth Institute uh, intended to help churches, uh, they use the term lean young, um, with the aim of reaching and keeping uh, youth, young adults connected to, to, to Christ and to His church. Uh, and friends, that's, that's worth our significant and even sacrificial efforts as older generations, isn't it? It is. That, that's worth stepping outside your comfort zone, older person, to take the initiative of building relationships with young people. That goal is worth, and, and on that note, the older person can be 30 if there's a 22-year-old that you can influence and, and disciple and walk with and encourage in Christ, right? But um, that goal of reaching and keeping youth, that, that goal is worth our commitment to, to lay aside our preferences in this gathering, as some of you have done a little bit. Way to go. Way to go. That goal of reaching and keeping youth and young adults and children connected to His church and to Christ, it's worth doing the preparation to be able reading the research, the study, the prayer, to be able to answer challenging questions that a young person might ask you as you work at growing relationships with them. Hmm. Here's a story from this Growing Young book that illustrates the importance of engaging, of all of us, not just the pastor, but all of us, being willing and prepared to engage the tough and legitimate questions many times, most times, young people may have. Some decades ago, 13-year-old Steve attended church with his parents. One Sunday, he asked his pastor a question. He said, if I raise my finger, will God know which one I'm going to raise before I raise it? The pastor replied, well, yeah, Steve, God, God knows everything. Steve then pulled out, true story, he pulled out a magazine with a picture of African children tormented by starvation from a famine. And he asked, pastor, does God know about this and, and what's going to happen to those kids? In this picture, pastor said, Steve, I know you don't understand, but, but yes, God knows about that, was the only response given. True, but, but rather incomplete, really, of an answer. Steve walked away from church that day and never returned. The author of Growing Young makes his own observation about this interaction that just saying that that pastor failed to see that, that Steve's question had as much to do with whether God cared about his own pain and his own life and suffering, which included bullying at school and included uh, most, most uh, painfully being given up for adoption by his birth parents. Steve, Steve wanted someone older in his church community to at least try and make sense of his pain and, and, and do so with some some genuine compassion. You've likely heard of this Steve. His last name is Jobs, founder and CEO of Apple. Church-going teenager who wrestled with big questions that, that, that apparently he didn't find answers for nor a caring response to. Oh, what if... What if the answer to Steve's question was more of a, of a cultivation of ongoing dialogue about faith and its challenging questions uh, rather than an intellectual dead end? What if? 
And I'm not being judgmental on whoever it was that answered. I've answered this way sometimes. I know it. I'm challenged by this. What if the response to young Steve by that pastor was more, hey, Steve, that's a great question, and it's not an easy one. Why don't you and your dad and I get together on Saturday morning and discuss this over bacon and eggs? But bacon matters. Right? Let's wrestle, Steve. Let's wrestle. Let's wrestle with that challenging question and others, other questions together. Older folks, you prepared for that? Like prepared as in prepared? When's the last book you read on, on apologetics, being able to defend the faith? I can recommend some if you want. My Eaglemont friends who are, let's say, 35 years old for sake of discussion, <laughs> there are opportunities to build significant and life-shaping relationships with youth and young adults who are a part of this church family or a part of our broader community, uh, and they come on Friday nights. I mean, it, it can happen in a circle of conversation after church. Teenagers, if you're in a circle hanging out after church, and somebody 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 walks in as a result of this message and says, Hi, guys. Be nice to them. <laughs> in that moment, would you make them feel welcome? Really? Oh, I hope. I hope that'll happen. I hope that'll happen today. Could happen in those circles. Could happen at one of the cafe tables. Could happen at a cafe between Sundays or lunch after church. Hmm. I heard recently of a couple of examples of this where a senior in our church took a couple of young leaders out, took them out for lunch. Oh, it's awesome, awesome. Just to connect, just to show care in this church. I heard after Pastor Jaden's first message back in the summer that someone north of 75, made their way to her and just encouraged her and said, that was great, great job. I mean, encouragement is good all the time, but when it's intergenerationally, mm, love it. Students, when's the last time you encouraged someone older than 50 or 60 or 70 and said, thanks for being here in our church family. You add value. And then you ask a question, what was it like to be a Christian in 1840? <laughs> Or whatever the year. I'll leave that with you. Right? I mean, this is not rocket science, is it? It just takes some intentionality, a little courage, a little creativity. I want to let those examples settle in. From this growing young research, a 17-year-old student put it well when she said, our whole church treats us like we're the church of today, not just the church of tomorrow. Oh man, I hope that every Eaglemont young person can always say that. I was at the World Pentecostal Conference a couple of weeks ago in Calgary, and Dr. William Wilson of ORU said something so important with passion, talking about, and this is an old guy, and he's talking about the church in North America and the the the. the, the you know, the, the, the way students, uh, as they graduate from high school, are, are, are leaving. He said, we must have an openness. We must have an openness to the next generation and to the way they approach things so that we'll have a voice into the next generation for the gospel. 
wise words and a good reminder. And, and, and I would add this, that, that we, need to, we need to see the next, what we call the next generation, as, as the now generation. I love that there's a real decent number, a solid number of teens and young adults every Sunday in different ways around this building, serving, using their gifts, ministering to the kids, in the kitchen, on the media, like up on stage worship leading. I love it. It honors God and it draws people to Him. I want you to know something that I know for sure. I know for sure. And I think most of you do know this as well. That this church, young people, listen. Not that you're not. I'm just, I sounded like a real grandpa there, didn't I? But I, I want you to catch this, and I, I know you're with me. This church would have bare spots. This church would have big holes. The young adults and the youth and the children are not a part of this church family. I can't imagine it. I'd go do something else probably with my life. (laughs) Or or work to change that. Maybe maybe that's better. (laughs) We'd be, young people, we'd be, as a church, we'd be incomplete if you were not a part of this church family. I want you to know that. I want you to feel that deeply this morning. I love that you're here. and, And so many others do as well. We want you to be a part of what God is going to continue to do in and through us as a church. Not merely, we don't want you, not merely as a consumer. Ah, there's a place for, for somebody who is just kind of exploring and entry level and all of that, of course. But if you've chosen to follow Christ, by virtue of that commitment, you've also committed yourself. In, in New Testament terms, it's very clear. You've also committed yourself to the body of Christ and the work of God in this world, in our town, in our city, through the church. And that's exciting. Not always easy, but exciting. And we want you to be a part of it. We want to journey with you, us older people. We want to journey with you and encourage you in life. We want, to in, be in, we want to be encouraged by you. We want to learn from you. We want to serve God's mission together with you. Because, listen, the passion and zeal that you bring to the table and bring to our church enriches the soil of This church family, and I've seen that time and again. It's awesome. Many of you have witnessed that as well. Young people, you also need a thriving and loving church to help you grow, to ground you in God's Word, to face the culture in which we live. You do. You know that. I'm sure you do. And that's on us who are older to create the type of environment for you. And, and that environment has more to do with or organic intergenerational relationships in the church than it does, you know, programming, programming decisions or music style or anything else as important as those things are. But the priority is, is this, this cultivation of deep, meaningful relationship between the generations. And, and, and the growing young research actually bears that out. Older generations, older generations this morning, whoever you are, wherever you put yourself, and most of us here, there's somebody younger than us, so this applies. Students, teenagers, this applies to you, some of these principles. As I see some of you interact or teach, lead the, the, the kids on a Tuesday night at Fuel or, 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 or in children's ministry, different generations. You're older. <laughs> Don't call me old anymore. But 
okay, older generations, let's, let's do all we can. Let's do all we can to stop the bleeding in the Canadian church by doing whatever God would have us do. In our church, the alarming statistics of 40 to 50% of students drift from God after they graduate from high school. Those stats do not have to reflect this church. And I want us to do everything we can. I'm calling you, church, with a vision for young adults and youth and children in the days ahead to see them grow in Christ and in relationships within this church family. From the Growing Young book, again, one young person said, some of the couples in our church are in their 70s. Can you imagine that? They're in their 70s. And the first time or two that a new young person comes to our church, it's not uncommon for them to be invited over for lunch after church to some of these older couples' homes. How cool is that? And some of you can do that and have done that. This growing young study showed something very encouraging that many young people actually want to get to know older people in their church family. Don't think they don't. Don't know how to do it, don't know what to say, you know, but we can all step awkwardly across that hurdle. Ah, we'll laugh about that someday. It's doable, more than doable. Think about it. How cool and Christ-honoring would it be to have a church where young people trust older adults enough that they'll share their struggles and their questions openly and honestly? Well, for that to be the case, the, the, the different generations need to have movement toward one another. So, if Eaglemont is your church family, Jesus calls you to take initiative toward building relationships with others here who are a different age. You see, the most important question is not, do I feel accepted? As important as that is. But rather, the question, primary question probably needs to be, who is it that I will help to, for them to feel uh, uh, noticed, accepted, loved? And when, and when that crosses intergenerational lines, it is powerful. And so, before we dismiss, uh, with a purposeful response assignment this morning, okay, get ready. But before, we, before I talk about that briefly, I, I, I want to just talk to those here for whom this idea of being a Christ follower is unfamiliar. If you don't know Jesus personally, as, as, as we say it, and as the Bible makes clear, we can, we can know him personally. I mean, first of all, way to go for being here, as Pastor Joel already said. Way to go. Maybe this is outside your comfort zone. Courageous of you. Way to go. I want you to know that your creator, God, uh, the, the Father, uh, the, the creator of everything we see and don't see, he made a huge move. Speaking of movement, he made a huge move toward you by sending his son Jesus, who came to earth willingly and took our penalty for sin upon himself. He died so we wouldn't have to. He rose from the dead to prove that he could give us eternal life, and he can. And this today is your opportunity to, to, to course correct the direction of your life and your eternity. That's big stuff, isn't it? Would you respond to God's invitation this morning to simply trust Christ as, as, and, and, and ask Him to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life? If you say yes and you place your trust in God that way, you, you immediately are brought into God's eternal family. That's what the Bible says. 
Do you understand everything immediately? No, I don't either. But, but listen, everything that we need to understand about how to know God uh, personally and eternally is, is, is very clear and, and, and simple. So this morning, just before we explain, before I explain the response activity, it's going to be fun. I want you, everybody, just bow your heads. Christians, please pray. There may be people among us who have never made this commitment of their life to Christ. This morning, I want to tell you, he loves you so much. He died in your place. And if you want to accept Christ into your life, this is an opportunity for you just to raise your hand. I'm not going to call you up front or embarrass you, but I'd love for you just to look my way. Just kind of, I want to seal in prayer as we close, pray for you. If you want to trust Christ, Jesus is the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. I want you to just raise your hand and, and look my way, would you please? Thank you for your courage, ma'am. God bless you. Anybody else? Thank you. To my left at the back. Way to go. Way to go. So exciting. Thank you. Way to go. Way to go, guys. Way to go. Love it. There's a part. Luke 15, I think it is. Going for memory here. I think it's Luke 15. It says there's a party in heaven. The angels rejoice when someone decides to step across the line of faith and put their trust in Jesus and begin this eternal relationship with God, Creator. Awesome. Before I forget, I'm going to pray for you. But those who raised your hands, would you do something? Would you take one of the connection cards in, in the next few moments and just write your name and an email or phone number and just say, I open my heart to Christ, or I recommitted my life to Christ today, whatever it is. And I'd love just to touch base to pray personally with you. I'm not going to harass you. I certainly want to help and encourage. So if you would do that, and you can give that to me, or you can put that at the kiosk, the slot at the top of the information kiosk uh, at the back there as you leave today. Father, I thank you for your grace shown to us in Jesus. And thank you for these individuals that your spirit, your, your loving spirit speaking to, drawing them to you, to your heart, and to relationship with you. Encourage them, lift them up, God, in the challenges that they may be facing. May they trust you to, to walk with them every day. Thank you that you have brought them as they express in their own hearts and minds, in their own words, their desire to follow you. You've brought them now in this moment into your family, and that's awesome. Help them to love your word, and to connect in your body, in your church. In Jesus' name, amen.